Hey, everybody. Good morning and welcome. Hey, it's great to have you here on this kind of rainy, drizzly uh, Sunday morning. It's really fun for me when we have uh, our meet and greet time because we have the introverted people who don't like to do this. They were sitting down, staring at me like, will you please start talking now so everyone else will sit down? And we've got people who are still going to be talking, you know, five minutes into this whole thing. So anyway, hey, it's great to have you here today. We, we're, <laughs> today is one of those days where it's like all this build up uh, to today because there's been so many things that have been happening. And it's really good to see everybody back from kind of vacations and kids getting back in school. Uh, you know, the Super Bowl champion Eagles are a 1-0, and if anyone cares. Anybody here care? A couple people? There you go. All right. Um, it's promotion Sunday for our students. Uh, Kim was really hoping that there would be no rain because she had all these outdoor games planned for them. But you know, they're in one of the big classrooms now and still having fun and doing their thing. Speaking of which, if we have any, any students, fifth grade and under, you are officially dismissed if you want to go. If you don't want to go, that's not you, Mason. Sit down. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's a big fifth grader. That's what I'm saying. Um, we, we had our discipleship classes start today for adults and for the youth. Uh, we have PYC beginning tonight and Wednesday night. Uh, new alone, the first time they've led worship here, and uh, would you just thank them for being here? I know they're really nervous about being here, and it's really interesting because they're a band, and they play music, and they've got all these venues, and they're getting ready to maybe make it really big, but worship leading is just a different animal, right? And so, you know, Mike's like, yeah, just wow, you know, so, but it's all about, as I told them before we started, it's all about using our gifts and talents to worship God, and it doesn't have to be perfect for it to be worshipful, because none of us are perfect, and we can still worship him. And so we, we just do that together, and it's, it's one of the things that we just strive to do. So uh, you may have noticed today on your way in that things look a little different, pictures hanging on the wall, uh, the new tables, we've got new carpet in the classrooms, just a lot of things that we've been working uh, toward. Uh, Jackie told me not to mention her name, so Jackie, I won't say her name more than in a couple more times, but Jackie's done a great job of putting all that together and overseeing that project, and we're just really thankful for that and, and having all that, that done. It's been a fun, exhausting, and yet rewarding summer. Uh, looking forward to this fall and the, this season in the life of the church. Uh, today, we're kicking off a series we've titled Live the Life. It's a three-week series where uh, we've really been looking over the past several months as a leadership team and a staff, uh, evaluating where we are as a body of believers, and we've been trying to identify where it is that we need to really focus in our life as a, a body of believers. And, and we've landed on this idea uh, that we, we really need to focus in is on our growth. And what I mean by that specifically is our spiritual growth. It's our desire to challenge each and every one of us to grow in our faith and our relationship with God, to take that next step in our faith. And, and that means that if you're a longtime member, you've been coming here forever, or if today is your first Sunday here at PCC, we want to challenge everyone to take that next step and to really look at what that means for you. Because that's going to look different for each and every one of us because we are at different stages and different points in our life, in our relationship with God, in, in the maturity of our faith. But the goal is for everyone to do the same thing, and that's to take a step forward, to move closer to the Lord, to be challenged to discover and experience the life-changing love of Christ and walk in relationship with Him. So for that reason, uh, in this season and life of the church, we're going to focus in on growth. And we begin today by looking at how we are going to live the life and living a life of purpose and what it means to live a life of purpose. Now here's the, the disclaimer from the very beginning. 
For those of you who are looking for me to give you the three points in a poem as to what you can do to walk out of here and find purpose for your life, you're going to be disappointed because it's just not that easy, right? My goal today is to introduce to you maybe a different way to think about a few things and then invite you to allow God to speak to you and to mold you and shape you and to form you into who he's leading you to be. Because the last thing that I have the ability to do is to be prescriptive in what you should do to grow in your relationship with Christ. There are some things we need to do, I think collectively, and some things that would be beneficial, but but I believe that, that God can speak to you and will work in your life in that way. And so we're going to, to look at this together this morning. And, and to kick us off, uh, I want to read uh, from the book of Ecclesiastes. So I want to invite you to grab your Bible and turn to the book of Ecclesiastes. We're going to be in Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Uh, and if you're looking for it in, the, in a blue Bible in front of you, it'll be around page 472. If you're trying to find it in your Bible, it's in the Old Testament. Uh, it's there, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, uh, you, you'll find it there. Uh, Ecclesiastes was written by Solomon. It tells us that in verse 1 of chapter 1. It says, the words of the teacher, the son of David, king of Jerusalem. Now, in addition to being the son of a king, Solomon was considered to be the wisest man and the wealthiest man of his time and maybe even ever. And so if anyone ever understood what life was about, it had to be Solomon because Solomon had unlimited resources to figure it out and he had the time to figure it out. So he comes to some, some conclusions that he writes down to help us be better informed, conclusions that help us relate to life, conclusions that help make a difference in our lives and help us to pursue and to determine our purpose. And in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 2, he writes these encouraging words. He says, meaningless, meaningless, utterly meaningless, everything is meaningless. Aren't you encouraged, right? He says, this, this is what it means, that everything is meaningless. All the things you've been doing all summer, all the things you've been working toward, all the effort you've made sure in making everything is done, all the effort we've made sure in, in making sure that things are in the right place and things look good and, and that everything is kind of ready to go, all the preparations you made to get your kids ready for school and for sports and for activities and, and even all the things you've done to be here today, everything meaningless is what Solomon's saying. And then he goes on. What does man gain from all his labor at which he toils under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. It's meaningless. Nothing good is going to come of it. You may gain and you may earn and you may have, but ultimately, what does it matter because it's useless and someday you are going to be gone? Again, you're encouraged, right? But the question is this, have you ever felt that way? Have you ever kind of felt like life is kind of meaningless? What is the point? What's going on, first of all? God, why are you allowing this to happen? Or whatever phraseology you use in that. And what's the point? And if you felt like that, maybe you've also felt like that you were useless. And that's not a good or healthy way to think. It's not a good place to be in. It's not where we need to live. 
So Solomon, he continues. He says, the sun rises and the sun sets. It hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return again. Solomon is, is referring to this cycle of life, right? Day after day, season after season, streams run into the sea. Waters from the sea fill the clouds. The clouds go over, dump the water into the, the rivers. The rivers then flow again. And I feel like he's given us a tour at the, the Hopewell watershed, right? He's kind of telling us how this whole thing works. But the result is this. He says, all things are wearisome more than anyone can say. The eye never has enough of seeing or the ear, it's full of hearing. And this got me thinking to this, uh, this pattern of life that we go through. And I got, got to thinking about my own life. And have you ever felt like life is just kind of going in circles? I mean, think about it. School begins. Uh, for me, school begins, right? have a wedding anniversary, fall break happens, then there's Thanksgiving and Christmas, my birthday, Super Bowl, Valentine's Day, Easter, school dismisses, we start enjoying the summer, I realize once again that the Kansas City Royals are not a good baseball team, we prepare for the fall, Labor Day hits, we get excited about this Sunday, and 365 days from now, on September 8th, 2019, here we go again, right? It's this cycle, sometimes it feels like we're running on a treadmill, we use a lot of time, a lot of effort, and a lot of energy, and we end up going nowhere. As I heard someone once say, you may win the rat race, but you're still a rat, right? <laughs> and if you've ever felt like that, even uh, maybe a little bit, maybe this concept of, of living a life of purpose, this idea of taking the next step and growing in your faith and your relationship for the Lord, with the Lord, maybe that's for you. Solomon continues in verse 9. He says, what has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There's nothing new under the sun. Is there anything at which one can say, look, this is something new. It was here already long ago. It was here before our time. Now, we can argue that there have been some new discoveries, right? Uh, there have been. Solomon missed out on a lot of cool things, motorized transportation, air travel, space program, iPhone, Instagram, Amazon Prime, those types of things, right? But, but the whole point that he's talking about here is that life seems unfulfilling because of the this, this cyclical nature of it. What's the point? So much of life can be mind-numbing. He even uses the word wearisome there in verse 8, that life just seems wearisome. And if you think about it, think about all the options that we have at our disposal in our life. Think about just the entertainment options. And yet, what do we often say? We're bored, right? I, I, I think about it this way. Uh, according to Dr. Kitchens, the average American will press the remote control 500,000 times in their lifetime. And for some, I think that's more of a, of a yearly average, right? It's just kind of the way it works. But we think about the entertainment that we have available to us and how unfulfilling it is because we are constantly looking for something else to watch, right? There are over 1,000 channels on cable packages and there's nothing on. We go to, uh, to Amazon Prime, it has over 18,000 movies and almost 2,000 TV shows. Netflix has over 7,000 titles, and yet there's times that we go through our you know, list and we look at everything, and what do we say? There's nothing we want to see. So what do we do? We go to Hulu, we go to Redbox, we go to Movies on Demand, or we go to the movies. Life just seems so unfulfilled and unfulfilling, and to top it all off, there's no remembrance of men of old, and even those who are yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow. Are you encouraged yet? Right? 
I think the, the, the movie, the animated movie Coco, which came out in November of last year, addresses this idea really well. It's this concept in this movie that when you die, you go over this bridge that you can see there. And every year you get to come back as long as people remember you. But when no one remembers you, you just kind of, you know, disappear into nothingness, right? Solomon is saying that life can seem very insignificant and you can kind of just dissolve into nothingness because no one's going to remember you here on earth anyway. And as I got to thinking about it, I challenge you with this. Do you know the name of your great, 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 great grandmother? Even if you do, do you know her? No. And your great, 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 great grandkids, they may or may not know your name, but they're not going to know you. We don't remember people, do we? Not very encouraging. And that can make us feel really, really insignificant. The, the point that Solomon seems to be making is that life is tiresome, life is useless, life is unfulfilling, and we are insignificant. And I would say that is what happens in life, especially when you're living a life without purpose. But here's the amazingly good news, and this is where we make the turn, right? Here's, here's where it starts to get some good news. God has a purpose for you. God has a purpose for me, for all of us, and in our life, and he's created us in such a way that he has communicated his love for us through his son, Jesus, and that gives us purpose and meaning and life. Solomon, for all the things he was able to do, and for as wise as he was, and as wealthy as he was, for all the things he was able to accomplish, even his relationship with God, we have something he did not have. We have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, the Son, which is an amazing thing. Because God loves us and he gave that to us and that gives our life meaning and that gives our life purpose and it doesn't make life meaningless. It gives it meaning. Paul, who wrote a lot of the New Testament, he, he wrote from his prison cell uh, a, a letter to the church at Philippi. We call it Philippians. Uh, Paul shared that how he endured many things. He endured floggings. He was exposed to death. Five times he received 39 lashes. He was beaten with rods, pelted with stones, shipwrecked three times. He was in danger often. He'd gone without food and water and sleep. He'd been cold and naked. And yet through it all, he says that he lived a life of purpose. He told the church in Philippi these words, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God had called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. He knew that what he'd been called to do and what he was striving to do with, to the best of his ability, right where he was with what he had to work with, he understood that his primary responsibility and his purpose in life was to tell people about Jesus. And I would suggest that our understanding of purpose is found in the fact that we understand that we have been created to live the life that God has, has given us. And he's given that to us so that our life can have meaning, meaning and purpose. So what is our purpose for life? I'm glad you asked, right? Because that's what we're going to talk about for just a couple moments. I would propose that God's word tells us what our purpose is for life and what we are truly to do. And his word gives us two different but related purposes for our life. There's our general purpose for life, and there's our specific purpose for life. And I want to look at these two separate and yet related things for just a few moments this morning. If you go back to the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 3, uh, Solomon writes these words. He says, he, being God, God has made everything beautiful in its time. 
He's also set eternity in the human heart. We have this idea in us that where we are currently and what we currently know and currently see, that there's more to this life than that. That even if you're not a follower or believer in Christ, you have this sense of something greater. Uh, My cousin uh, serves with Pioneer Bible Translators in Tanzania, and his basic job and responsibility is he goes uh, from his his home base, and he goes out into the the wilderness, the bush, and and he's talking to, he meets these different tribes, and he spends time with them, and he invests in them, and he learns their language, and then he takes their language and translates the scriptures into their language and presents Jesus to them. That's what he does. That's his job, and he loves it, and he's really good at it. And one of the things that he has shared is that he goes, as he goes to these different tribes who have never heard of Jesus before, every tribe has this sense of something greater, of something more, that there's something more out there. And that's what Solomon is saying. He says, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. Because we are human, we are finite, and we cannot completely grasp eternity. So our focus is on our life here on earth. But because we are eternal beings, this is not all there is. And so while our bodies wear down and eventually give out or or we have health concerns and something happens and our health fails, our spirit, our soul, it continues. And so that tells us and, and leads us into what part of our general purpose is, and that is to prepare for eternity. We know instinctively for that to be true, that there is something more. But more importantly than that, God's word tells us that this is true. In John chapter one, Jesus says this, yet to all who did receive, or the the scriptures say this, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. It is through faith that we have a relationship with Christ and God has invited all humans everywhere to have this relationship and to be his children. And it's through his love And through his acceptance, our acceptance of faith in that love, that we have the opportunity to walk in relationship with him. And and as we walk in relationship with him, that, that gives our life meaning, and that gives our life purpose, and suddenly we begin to make sense of things, primarily because we stop living our lives as it's only about us, and we start understanding that it's more about him. And our focus becomes an eternal focus instead of a present focus but it's an eternal focus that takes place in the present. Does that make sense? That we are finite beings focused on the eternal and that's difficult and yet it's so easy at the same time as well. So for us, for all humanity, our general purpose of life is simply this, to live in the present while preparing for eternity. So that's our general purpose. So what about our specific purpose? How are we to live our life? Specifically, uh, I want to address that in three areas. I would suggest it comes down to how we invest our time, our talents, and our treasure. All right? And you may have heard that before, but I think it's important that we hear this again. Because the amazing thing is, when those three things begin to line up, I think we begin to find purpose in our life. Now, I want to be really clear in this. While looking at this and maybe seeing things in a new light will probably cause you to question some things and may ultimately even challenge you to change some things in your life, I think what I really want to encourage you to do instead is to think about what it means to be intentional in what you're doing. To be intentional right where you are with what you have, doing what you are doing. How can you do that in a way where your focus is on eternity? And so I want to look at these three areas to be challenged as we think about what it means to grow, 
what it means to take that next step in our faith and how we can walk through this together. So I want to look at these areas. The first one is this, our time. The most precious thing God has given you is what? The answer is on the screen. Ready? Your time, right? The most precious thing we have is our time, which is why when you're here, and I, I say often, thank you for investing part of your weekend here together, I mean that because that is so important because we want to invest back talking about Jesus and his love and his grace and his mercy and, and his desire to walk in relationship with us. And, and we do that through the songs that we sing and through reading his word by making you talk to each other in community, even when you don't want to do that because that's not your thing. When we serve and when we give and all that we say and we do, we want to, to focus in on him and on him alone. So when I say thank you for being here, it's important because without your investment of time, there can be no relationship. That's true for us. That's true for your family, with your spouse. It's true with God as well. Time is something that we cannot buy. We cannot save. We cannot extend it. There's 168 hours in a week. And the question is, what do we do with that time? In this part of the country, what do we do with our time? Everything possible, right? We try to squeeze in every second, and we try to make every second count. We're on the go, we're scheduled, we're productive, we're ambitious. Our motto is, I don't have to get in front of everyone, I just have to get in front of you, right? At least that's the way it is on the road. I don't know why you're in such a hurry to get in front of me, because we're both going to stop at that stoplight in about 30 seconds, right? But that's our mentality. We're on the go. We just want to go all the time. And the truth of the matter is, we're probably doing too much. Or maybe a better way to say it is this, we're probably doing too much of what doesn't further our purpose in life. That's true of my life at times. It shouldn't be, but it is. I find myself really busy on the go, doing a lot of things, making my to-do list, checking a lot of things off my to-do list, doing something, writing on the to-do list so I can check it off, right? This is kind of what you do sometimes. And I, I look back at the end of the day and I wonder, did my actions help further the kingdom of God or did I just get some things done? Did I invest in the kingdom or just in my kingdom? Our life is measured by our time. So here's the question. How much of your time, how much of your life, of your 168 hours each week, are you investing in the kingdom? Now, that's not a question to make you feel guilty, right? Oh, what is he No, that's not the point. It's also not a question to make you pat yourself on the back and feel better about yourself. It's just this idea of if what does it mean for us to live the life of meaning and purpose, it has a lot to do with our time, it has a lot to do with our steps that we're willing to take to grow in our relationship with God, and that's going to make us evaluate the investment or the way we spend our time. And, and I'm really not talking about how much time you spend at church or serving at the church. I, I'm also not just talking about do you read your Bible and study and pray. That's certainly part of it, but, but it's only part of you. That should be the overriding thing in all of your life and, and not segmented pieces. It's, it's how do we invest our time? You see, I want to talk about when you work and when you coach and when you're raising your kids, when you interact with people. As you prioritize your time, are you being purposeful with your time, intentional with your time? Often we are so busy that we fail to realize that those 168 hours of our week, that they could have been invested, and instead we just spend them. You see the difference? 
Because there's nothing eternal to show for it when we just spend them, but there is when we invest them. Now, this is where I'm not going to get into a list of those things that invest and those things that are spent. But what does it look like for you? What does it look like for you to take that next step? What does it look like for you, and what does that mean? And, and, And how is God speaking to you as you think about how you invest or spend your time? There's a second area. Your talents, your gifts. And I'm referring to that which you have, which you use in service to the kingdom. One of the talents that God has given me, and you could argue this point with me in just a minute if you want to, but one of the talents God has given me is the ability to speak in public. Anybody want to argue? Okay, there you go. Um, I am not one of the 74% of people who suffer from glossophobia. A word made up of two Greek words, glossa meaning tongue and phobia meaning fear or dread, the fear of public speaking. Speaking in public has never been a real issue for me. Now, I still get nervous and those types of things, but I'm not afraid to do it. There's a lot of people, and you might be one of them, that if I were to call on you to stand up and talk, you would rather do, you know, have like five root canals back to back to back rather than stand up and talk, right? But here's the thing about gifts that we all have. My gift is not just for me, and your gift is not just for you. Our gifts are for us. They're to be used for the benefit of all of us. Speaking in public is one of the gifts that I have the ability to use for you and for me and for for all of us. And you have gifts that I need and others have gifts that you need and I need. If you think about it, when we are led in worship through song, I need that. And my guess is so do you as well. But not everybody can do that, right? And so that's a gift that we share and we use with other people. Uh, We have people who teach People who show hospitality, those who serve, those who give, those who clean. And again, this is not a laundry list. It's just a a, a fragmented list of the things that we do that God has given us the ability and the talents to do. And we do them in service to each other, not just to ourselves. And in doing that, we benefit the kingdom of God. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do what? What's it say? To do To do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. We're to use our gifts to benefit others, not just ourselves. And can I tell you something? When, when you catch a glimpse of this, and when you begin using your gifts and talents in service of others and to benefit the kingdom, it really makes you feel good. It really does. It's a reward that it's really hard to explain. But so often we miss out on serving and using our gifts because we just don't have the kingdom mindset, because we're thinking about what's in it for us and not how that can be leveraged and used for others. Peter encourages us to have this type of kingdom mindset when he says, each of you should use whatever gifts you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. And I love that because it's not one way. We extend it to people in a variety of ways. And your gifts and your talents are needed by other people. And this is not a call to say, okay, we need everyone to sign up to serve in the nursery, right? No, that is a need. And if that's your giftedness, then we want to encourage you to do that. But not everybody wants to go play with kids for an hour, right? But we have different gifts. We have different abilities that we are to use for the benefit of the kingdom. And I just want to encourage you to think about what do you love to do? What is it that that just fires you up? And how are you using those gifts and those passions to benefit others and to further the kingdom? And can I tell you, that does not always take place within the context of a church. That can be done outside 
of the church. And we encourage you to use your gifts and talents outside the church to make a difference for the kingdom, to invest in the kingdom. So what does that look like for you? What would taking the next step of growth in your faith, in your relationship with God, in the area of your talents look like for you? Third area, your treasure. Uh, The reality is this. If we're not using our treasure for the kingdom, then that affects our heart. Paul said it this way. He said, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Jesus said it this way in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I truly believe that the way we view money is a heart issue. And it doesn't matter how much you have or how much you don't have, it's a heart issue issue at, at the heart of the matter. The reality is God doesn't need our money but he desires our heart. So Jesus, once again, he says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Okay, so I need to be really clear anytime I talk about this. This is not about guilting you into giving more or making you feel bad. It's not about you know, patting yourself on the back for what you're already doing. This is just something that we need to think about as we think about taking the next step in our faith and in a relationship with the Lord as God has called us to live our life. Now, Without having a raise of hands or any, you know, everybody just kind of sit really still for just a moment, you may be here today, and as I start talking about money and things, in your brain, you have this conversation with yourself. See, told you, all churches are the same. They talk about all that other stuff and talk about love and grace and mercy and Jesus and all this, but what they really want, they really want your money, and that's what he's going to talk about. He's going to talk about how I need your money, but here's the thing, and I mean this. If you think that this church, or if you think that I am all about wanting your money, then here's what I say to you. Don't give here. Don't. Do not give here. If that's what you think about this place, just don't. But that does not give you an excuse not to give. Because I go back to what I said at the beginning, it's a heart issue, okay? So if you don't want to give here, don't. But you find an organization that is helping people uh, spread the, the, the... helping spread the name of Jesus and telling people about his love and grace and mercy in their life, and you give to them. Because at the end of the day, God doesn't want your money. He wants your heart. And may I be as bold to say as we don't want your money, and may I also be as bold to say as, but we do want your heart. We want to join together and and try to, to do this together as imperfect as we are, but we want to do this because I believe that when God captures your heart, You're not gonna give out of compulsion. You're not gonna give half-heartedly. You're not gonna give because someone up here tells you to, but you're gonna give because of the joy and it's an expression of your joy and your thankfulness to God and you recognize that you have the opportunity to invest in the kingdom and help tell people about the love of Jesus so they can discover and experience that in their life. Money is a tool that is to be used But I've heard it said, money makes a wonderful servant, but a terrible master. Jesus said it this way, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? Jesus also said some very interesting things when it comes to this idea of how we use money. In the middle of the parable to the shrewd manager in Luke 16, Jesus says these words that are a little cryptic and kind of fun all at the same time. He says, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves, right? Right? You know what that tells me? Throw parties, 
right? That sounds like fun, right? Why do you do that? So that when it's gone, uh-oh, right? You will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Now, what does Jesus mean? There's a lot of different people who had a lot of different views on this, but I would just simply suggest this, that Jesus is saying, use your treasure to invest in the kingdom and invest in such a way that changes lives. Invest in the lives of people so that when the money is gone and your life is over, you will be welcomed into heaven by the people that are in heaven because you invested here on earth in the kingdom. And may I say that because of your investment in the kingdom and when you give to PCC, you are investing in the kingdom, you are investing in ministries that are taking place in Haiti and in Honduras, on the campuses of Ryder and TCNJ in Princeton through InterVarsity. Your investment goes to our interns, your investment in Mercer Street Friends, on Church on the Block, and Love True, because of your investment in PYC and PYC1 and PCC Kids in small groups and discipleship classes and staff, because of the funds that you give, we're able to keep the building open and the lights on, right? And the building is used for all sorts of things like AA groups and ACA and support groups and Bible studies and the Ebo Church, which meets at noon here, for band practices and so many other things that I could just continue to list because when you give here, you are investing in all of those things and so many more. And I just want to say thank you for doing that because those things are possible only because of you. You are the ones investing your time, your talents, and your treasure. And it's only because of your investment that we're able to focus on the kingdom and do the things that God is leading us to do. And when you become engaged in that type of focus of investing in the kingdom in all areas of your life, I believe that God's specific purpose for your life will begin to take shape. And it will begin to lead you into living the life that he desires for you to live. A life that's made possible through his love. A love that God demonstrated for us. A love that he gave to us through his son Jesus. A love that where Jesus invested everything so that we could have life and relationship with him. It's a life and a sacrifice and a love that we celebrate through communion. In just a moment, the the ushers are going to pass two trays, one containing bread that represents Jesus's body, the other containing juice, which represents Jesus's blood. And one of the ways we celebrate that here at PCC is by taking communion, by remembering and celebrating what Jesus has done for us, and we celebrate him. We celebrate his love, we proclaim his love, the hope and the life that we have, and the life that we live here that blends into eternity. And so as the trays are passed, we invite you as believers to partake of the bread and the juice, to reflect on his life, and to celebrate the love we have in him as we think about what it means for us to live our life of purpose and meaning because of the life he gave for us. Let's pray together this morning. Father God, we thank you. We thank you for this moment and we thank you for this opportunity that we have to be together, to worship you. We thank you for sending your son Jesus so that we can have hope and life. Jesus, we thank you for your willingness to go to the cross and to demonstrate your love for us. We thank you that you came to seek and to save that which was lost, us, Father. You, you love us and, and you showed that in so many ways and we, we thank you for that. We thank you that that your word tells us that you are with us and that you're not far from us and that we just need to seek you. And so, Father, as we prepare to partake of communion today, I pray that our hearts and our minds would be focused in on you and on you alone. We thank you for your love. 
We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your desire to walk in a relationship with us. Thank you for hearing our prayers, Father. In the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen.